What's up, guys? Welcome to the Humans of MarTech podcast. His name is John Taylor. My name is Phil Gamash. Our mission is to future-proof the humans behind the tech so you can have a successful and happy career in marketing. What's up, GT? Good to chat again. Uh, I wanted to ask you, when you aren't podcasting or consulting these days, what uh, what are you reading? What are you listening to? Oh my goodness, yeah. Uh, well, we've been reading, I know, in parallel, the Bobaverse, which is science fiction series that was really odd to get into with a strange premise around AI and von Neumann probes and exploring the universe. So pretty fascinating stuff, maybe a bit apropos for what we're going to tackle today. Um, but truthfully, like, it's Mario season up in my house. I have four kids. We're all Mario fever. So I've been like crushing the Mario <laughs> on the switch. So I, I admit like I have not been diving into the intellectual activities as much more guilty pleasures these days. <laughs> How about you? Phil? Love it. Yeah. Big movie coming out for, for Mario as well. Um, yeah. I, I think you had a head start on the, on the bubbly verse books. Uh, I, I think I ended up overlapping. You got a, a bit yeah. less responsibilities these days, but I think that's going to change soon for me. I don't think I've actually announced this on the cast yet, but uh, yeah, my wife and I are on baby watch firstborn arriving any day now uh, still would be a bit early, but uh, lots of friends uh, firstborn came a bit early. So um, yeah, that's why I want to get a couple episodes in the bank there. Cause I'll, I'll probably be MIA for a month or two as I yeah. get settled into the new life. I know we don't do video, but you can't see Phil's smile right now, but it's ear to ear. I think he's going to be a proud papa. So best of luck to you guys uh, on your journey there. You're going to be good parents. Thanks, man. Yeah, I've actually been getting back into podcasts lately. Like I took a bit of a break from it, went back into like music and, and just books, but maybe I'll, I'll plug some of my few favorite episodes, uh, podcast episodes ahead of like uh, some of our podcast episodes. I've actually been really digging into making sense of MarTech lately. Juan mm. Mendoza is the guy behind the podcast. He's a friend of the show, you could say. Um, he's been doubling, doubling down on that, on that podcast now. Like He's pumping out weekly episodes. Um, so if you want to go deep on, on some technical topics, like in episode 37, he had the CEO of High Touch Data on and he debates the merits of reverse ETL and they really unpack CDPs, Compose versus Package. So it's a super cool episode. But in, in the non-marketing podcast world, I've been taking a dive into the world of AI. No, not like the fluffy, like my top 10 chat GPT prompts and buy my course type of <laughs> shitty content. Actually like way darker shit. And this will like prompted uh, a lot of the, the next coming episodes here. But like, will marketing be replaced by AI in 10 or 20 years or sooner? My buddy Alex recommended the Ezra Klein show. He has an episode on there titled Freak Out. We really can prepare for AI. And on the show, he has Kelsey Piper. She's a senior writer at Vox. And she basically spends her time writing uh, and being ahead of the curve when covering advanced AI. And like in that episode, she says something like the AI community believes that we are five to 10 years away from systems that can do any job you can do from your computer. Yeah, that's a fun time. And I was just like, I'm sorry, wait, what? And like, I know like a lot of like doomsday folks have been saying this for a long time and stuff, but like, there is like something to what she said. Like she's not alone in that camp. Like recently Goldman Sachs released a report saying AI could replace the equivalent of 300 million jobs sooner well, than that's we it. think. Only, that's only it. 300 million. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but okay. sooner than you think. Day later, Elon Musk, Andrew Yang, Wozniak, several other tech leaders wrote an open letter urging a pause in AI development, citing profound risks for the human race. So I went down this like rabbit hole, man, and I still haven't really come out of it, but it really prompted the next four episodes. So want to like preview them super quickly here but like episode one this episode we're going to be covering how fast ai could change or replace marketing jobs i think that's a lot of questions marketers have it's the question i had when i listened to that uh that podcast episode episode number two is going to be how marketers can stay informed and become ai fluent so like who to listen who to follow like courses to potentially take Number three is going to be navigating through AI in your marketing career. So how can you adapt? Like, are there areas of marketing that you could like get a bit closer to that's going to future proof you a little bit? 
And finally, like, I think the more interesting uh, episode and more fun is going to be just taking a deep dive into the existing mm-hmm. tool landscape. And like, we're probably going to have a data episode by the time this comes <laughs> out. By the time I started diving into this, there's probably been like thousands of tools that have come out already. But like this idea of finding the top AI marketing tools and filtering out the noise is like super crucial right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to say this a few times for sure. But like the only thing worse than being afraid is being unprepared. And some of the notes you talked about, like I can feel the spikes of anxiety, wondering where my job is going to be at in 10 years, you know, like it pays the bills. My family depends on my, my career to put food on the table. And I'm, we're not the only ones thinking this way. And there's no doubt like, okay, yeah, we're science fiction geeks, but like, you don't have to look very far to think about the type of major existential questions, the economic impact, like 300 million jobs. I, I, I kind of sneezed at that, but like, that's a ton of people. Like, we could talk about wiping out entire urge, uh, industries. And we're talking about things like lawyers and doctors and real yeah. estate agents, like white collar jobs that, that fuel the economy. So there's a lot of fear here to unpack, but I think there's a lot to we can do to be prepared. And I'm going to take a little bit of a stance around positivity around this, forcing myself yeah, a little it. bit around it. I do think that we're going to, like, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm relentless, relentlessly hopeful. I think that comes with having four children that I do believe <laughs> we got a great future ahead of us and we got to work our asses off to get there. We're not in a great place now, but we can get there. So I think like for me looking at this series, like we, we need to unpack like how soon and how significantly is this going to impact my job today? How do I keep up with the changes? Like this pace of change is, is so fast and so yeah. rapid. And it's like, there's so much noise. Like your LinkedIn feed has all of a sudden been overtaken by G- GPT everything. And like, what does it mean for you? So we're going to try and unpack that a little bit. Uh, like the big question in my own head, which I'm excited to dig into, is it possible to adapt? Can we actually future proof ourselves? Like, like, let's challenge that. And then like, what can we do to start right now? Not the theory, but like, <laughs> let's get our hands on AI tools. Phil's already deep into numerous AI tools I've been t- uh, playing around, but we're also going to explore some other tools during this to, to give you. So I think practical experience is so important. Yeah, yeah. Today we're gonna be starting with setting the scene a little bit, so covering uh, kind of how fast shit is changing right yeah. now. Like, I feel like that's the the premise of of this episode. But here are some of the topics that we're gonna cover in this first episode. So, AI isn't new, especially for enterprise companies with with lots of data. But unlocking some of the potential for startups is going to be huge. People without a big data team, will all these advancements in AI just make marketers better and more efficient, or will it actually push founders to go to market without a marketer? Uh, marketing will have massive changes because we primarily rely on the ability to understand and apply existing rules and processes. And what does Chad GPD have to say about all this? Like Naturally. I'm sure you've had conversations with it uh, as well. Many. What if AI is one day actually able to replicate human creativity and emotional intelligence? Like that's one of the key questions for me in, in like one of the scary pieces of this. Mm-hmm. But we'll we'll also talk about you know, potential mass employment, but the more likelihood of new job opportunities and just like uh, Mm -hmm. disrupting other jobs already and how AI might simply, you know, only ever replace the shitty parts of marketing. So lots of shit that we're going to try to unpack. I don't know how long this episode is going to be. We'll (laughs) we'll see where we end uh, at the end, but here's the main takeaway for uh, today's episode. It's not like our jobs are going to vanish overnight, but the shift is happening faster than many of us realize. AI is no longer just this loosely backed buzzword. It's doing things today that we used to think were impossible. So as marketers, we've got to take this tech seriously. And instead of asking if AI is going to replace our roles in marketing, we should be talking about how quickly it could happen and what it'll look like if it does. A bunch of really smart marketers and non-marketers out there are saying we need to hit the panic button. They're predicting that in just five to 10 years, we'll see a massive change affecting all sorts of remote jobs, including marketers. Times are wild right now. So I guess the premise here is like fellow humans of MarTech, let's keep our eyes on the future and try to figure out ways of continuously evolve and adapt to this ever-changing landscape. 
Yeah, the whole premise of why we started this was to help future-proof marketers, and I think there's yeah. no no topic more more hot these days. And I think like it's really important for us to edge back on that fear side of things, right? We don't, I I don't think having a fear-based approach is is going to have it. So recognize your fear, acknowledge it, and then put it in a box and hide it away, and let's get prepared for things. And I think like you really hit on a good point is that there, there's such a wide spectrum of people out there commentating on on this space and what it could mean like reading about like what the singularity could mean like we're going to get way out of the scope if we start talking about the implications of like the singularity and ai oh, yeah. as a separate life form <laughs> but at the the same time like those are those are going to affect us right those are the implications I think there's a lot to also look at the past developments in terms of like new technology comes out, it's going to wipe out jobs and we're still here. We're still in the economy. We're still creating new jobs. So there is an adoption approach here. That's interesting. I think it's interesting to kind of name drop a few people and we're, we're going to include a bunch of links, like tons of links in here, but I think there's interesting takes on it where from people like Dharma Shah and Scott Brinker, who believe that AI could have a fundamental impact on marketing jobs. And that like, this is a paradigm shift that, is bigger than the internet and there's those who are skeptical and who are you know uh don't believe it necessarily is going to take shape the way that some of the a proponents are are saying like Rand fishkin who's always a cool measure measured head in these types of conversations and i think that's a good call to action for everybody listening is you know listen to, you got to take both sides all sides of the coin and and really take away your own uh belief on, on what's going to happen next because i don't think anybody truly knows right yeah, I think that's a, a totally fair take. I mean, like where I wanted to start was, you know, we're we're not just like waking up to like, oh shit, like there's AI tools out there. Like we've been in marketing for a decade plus and like we're in marketing automation, right? And like a lot of what we do is marketing automation and there has been components of AI around for a really long time in marketing. Mm -hmm. Like we've been doing a lot of automation and AI quote unquote, like we can unpack like what is really AI versus like ML or whatever. Maybe we don't do that because we're not really experts in that space, <laughs> but like we're obviously talked a lot about it on the cast uh, automation and we've been playing with some of these tools in the past. Like maybe we can start there a little bit. Like I'd love um, to hear from you, like what, what you think are some examples of AI and automation <laughs> tools that you've used already or you're using right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I'll back it up one point too, is like companies been preparing for AI and these advanced ML models to come out for years, right? Data collection yeah. has been going on. Check your terms of services for any piece of software you run. Right. You know, there's, there's people are prepared for this. So the, 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 we're at the catalyst point in a lot of ways, I think with the technology and the breakthrough we're seeing today, you know, like if, if we're talking about automation tools that we've thought about replacing our jobs, HubSpot was going to replace our job. Marketo was going to replace our jobs. All these other tools. Chat GPT has is, is been the tool that I've been really digging into. I, I actually find it to be a fantastic tool for, for its, its use case. It's limited in its use case. I use it for coding projects. I use it for prompts, for, for writing projects, and for you know, SEO research is actually solid for helping to kind of round out the edges a little bit when I'm doing research with my other tools. Am I going to automate and create a business model off of it? And no, it's way too error prone and, and, and too fluffy, but it's, it's already, you know, helping me be more effective and at work. And I'm super stoked. Like if they told me I'm on the free version still, which I know I need to get off of it, but <laughs> like if they locked me down, I would, I would pay for it. And I think that's a, that's a really good indicator of how powerful a tool is. Yeah, I've, I've upgraded to to four. Maybe that's shiny object syndrome or like fear of missing out. But I was just like, I I can't like play around with 3.5 knowing that like there is yeah. like a better system out there. Like I need to get my hands on it. But yeah, like I feel like, yeah, GPT, I've, I've been playing a lot with uh, ChatGPT as well. But like even before ChatGPT, like as marketing automation admins, like we said, like we've actually been playing with a lot of machine learning features in, mm -hmm. in our tool and they may not be considered AI for everyone, but like send time optimization, like the ability to, instead of just send out an email campaign at a static time, you can like click that check mark on a lot of tools and they look at like previous data that you've mm -hmm. sent campaigns on and individual users and the tool tries to like, estimate the best time to send this campaign out to them based on mm -hmm. like when they've engaged with emails in the past that's machine learning 
there's also been automated lead scoring, which is also machine learning. Like instead of you manually deciding like what lead to assign, uh, or what score to assign this lead that like came mm-hmm. through on your website, like a lot of tools like Mad Kudu and Breadcrumbs just try to like automate a lot of that work mm-hmm. for you. There's like sentiment analysis, and there's like even cooler shit in, in propensity model. So like it's worth saying that many enterprise companies who especially have data scientists and a boatload of data they're already doing amazing things mm-hmm. with AI. Like ChatGPT for them is like, oh, it's cute. Like nice, yeah. cute. But like we're doing way fancier shit already. And I've actually had the first hand, uh, seen this firsthand during my time at WordPress.com. Like we've obviously like the company was around for like 10 plus years, millions of users, billions of data points. Like we had an incredibly smart data team that built a UI that allowed marketers, non-technical folks to build models predicting the likelihood that a user would do X or Y. Mm-hmm. And we even had uplift models that allowed us to only offer discounts to users who were most likely to churn without a discount, but not offer discounts to users who would convert anyway. Mm-hmm. So like many enterprises are doing this today. And like you could say that it's maybe not true AI, but they have the data and the models to do machine learning and that type of propensity models and try to predict what users are going to do. But that's the prerequisite today, like a lot of data and engineers to build the models like startups don't have that. I think the takeaway here is like the the AI that we're imagining is this like catalyst point where everything changes, like the curtains are up. Now AI is out. But as you said, like it's already been integrated into our day to day workings. Like how many times have you thought deeply whether you're interacting with like an advanced algorithm or machine learning or an actual like you know, immature AI, yeah. you're, you're not really having to think deeply about it. And that might be a nice little bit of a roadmap for the future. Like, are these things going to become, and this is a scary thing, I think, for a lot of people too, is, is how do you divide between what's human created and what's AI created, what's human derived value and AI derived value. And if you can't make a differentiator between the two, well, we got some interesting questions to start to unpack. And I think that's where a lot of people are going. I know I kind of went on a side tangent there, but like, me personally, I don't work a lot with enterprises. So like the amount of data that I typically work at, like ML applications are, are interesting. You could bring a data scientist in there and bring out some insights, but just not enough data input to really pull, pull in a ton of insights. However, on the flip side, like data startups need this data, right? And they need right. this data analyst. So like there's definitely an AI implication here. But I'm really curious about like your take around the startups. I know you've thought a little bit about like how startups are going to use AI and like, there's some interesting takes that I want to I want to see where you're going to go with. Imagine a world where startups could do machine learning applications described at enterprise companies today, like required to have big data teams and a ton of data using existing models like GPT-4 and basically everything available online as a data set, but also in combination with all of your valuable company data and tools. We're going to chat about composability in, in some of our future episodes. Scott Brinker has been really big, big on this topic, but like, like GPT is really powerful right now because it's like it's built on so much data on online. But imagine if you could also feed it data from your personal users, like your systems and your other tools, like connecting that chat interface to your other tools and combining that with uh, like all the other data sets that mm-hmm. it's built on top of. So like, what I tried to paint was imagine a world where as founders or you know non-technical founders with AI tools, you can design a prototype of your app, build a website with a few instructional words, build your own web app, including your backend, write a customized go-to-market strategy, suggest growth tactics, and even write message frameworks to help you generate users, leverage data from systems built on massive data sets like GPT, to build your own propensity models and implement growth experiments. We're actually way closer to this Mm -hmm. future than you might think. And you'll be able to do this without a big marketing team or a fancy marketing agency and without a big team with expensive data engineers and data scientists. Like, how fucking crazy is that? I mean, to be honest with you, what you describe is a bit of a dream for many folks, right? Like the people who have that, uh, we had Pierce Eugene Walla from NAC on, and he, we talked a ton about like the creativity process that gets blocked by having to code emails or work with 
developers to do stuff when the marketer has it all in their head, you know, and they just need a tool to bring it to, to, to life. Like there's something that is, is really attractive about this, right? A single person could set up a startup and, you know, prototype something out. The interesting part is like, what is, what is the role that humans play in this, in this process eventually? Like, what is the skill set that makes somebody who sits like what you've described is actually like in my mind like a brand new skill set it's like a ceo in a box with a cto yeah. mind and like if your inputs are 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 invalid are your outputs going to be also invalid so like are we going to become <clears throat> pardon me are we going to become experts at nudging ais are we going to be experts at talking to ai is like what is the creativity in it for us and for somebody like myself who derives like value out of that creative process and that imaginative process if ai can do some of that where do i take that that skill set so it's kind of interesting right even if a startup is spinning up the machine using ai at what point do we bring the subject matter expert and mm -hmm. and how many subject matter experts do you really need and when ai has the you know all of human knowledge in front of you how do you how do you get somebody smarter in the room or somebody with a different perspective uh, to move things like this is fascinating to think about. Yeah, I, I think I agree. Like today, absolutely. You know, it requires a lot of elbow grease to be able to do this. And, and it does feel like a bit of a, a pipe dream, but like in a few years, like in five or, or in 10 years, like maybe a lot less elbow grease than we're mm -hmm. comfortable with. Like think of how fast this shit is moving already today. Like you can do shit with GPT that, you know, like ask yourself five years ago, if you thought this would be possible today and you'd say like, no man, there's mm -hmm. no way. So like imagine in five to 10 years from now, like it's, it would be silly for us to say that this is impossible that like this idea of a CEO or a CTO, like packaged in a box, like we'll never be able to replicate that. But like, what if we could like this big mm -hmm. point of contention is will all these advancements just make marketers better and more efficient or will it actually push founders to go to market without a marketer? Like what is the value that a marketer brings if a lot of the output can be automated by tools mm -hmm. in like five or 10 years, like the, mm -hmm. the AI skeptics and down players are just focusing on the negative details of GPT right now. Mm -hmm. You've probably seen a lot of GPT down players who critique the current AI tools like, wow, it plagiarized Bob Dylan when I asked it to write like Bob Dylan or wow, it got this date wrong or it got this citation wrong. We get it. It's not perfect right now, especially when you use it as a search engine, which is the biggest like flaw with like people commenting <laughs> on GPT right now. Um, you know, it's, it's not used, uh, it's not supposed to be a search engine right now. And we can't forget that it's a text generator. Like it's the large language model and it's a reasoning engine to a certain degree, but it's not AGI. It's not artificial general intelligence. It's still though, very dramatically improved since like previous versions of it. And just in a few months, like 3.5 to four, like dramatically improved imagine in a few years or, or half a decade, like what, mm -hmm. what's your take on the speed here? Like in, in our yeah. no code tool episode that we did, you argued that it helped remove the dependency on subject matter experts. No code mm -hmm. tool did. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think AI tools have the same potential and like how dramatic will that shift be? Yeah. I mean, we've been using cars to get from point A to point B since like the 1930s and the 1950s, we started building highways we started using phones and adopted them en masse like in the, the late early 2000s. But fundamentally, technology like driving a car has has not changed, right? Like we're not in flying cars and stuff like that. So there's that kind of potential that I'm thinking of is like it's gonna what, what's the big shift that it brings into the to the marketplace and and what stays what in a lot of ways stays the same. Um, which is a long way of saying like I think. AI tools have virtually unlimited potential in terms of what they could do. Like they're already able to uh, almost empathize, like seemingly empathize. Like if you've mm -hmm. ever seen, like I've seen some people using chat GPT for therapy and it's providing, you know, I, I wouldn't want to pay for it, but like it's providing something and it's getting us there. So the other one that I found really fascinating is I saw this post on Reddit where a programmer taught, chat gpt an alternative syntax to html called hbml and it uses braces instead of tags and like if you go through the thread and look at the screenshots first of all like 
ChatGPT picks up on this, like it was born to code, which is not surprising. Um, but it was insanely quick at being able to compose code, you know, co syntactically correct code and uh, in a brand new, brand new language. And actually like as an HTML, you know, expert myself, like is actually kind of a cool, cool thought experiment. And to see the syntax, I was like, slightly more elegant, might work better in React and headless development, which is like the, that idea of that type of potential it comes back down to where does the marketer live, live there yeah. and where do we want to live? Right. And I, in the back of my head, I'm, I'm a bit of a rant, but like in the back of my head, I always have this idea that marketers are going to always look for the thing that provides the most ROI. And I, and I, I sound like a little bit like I'm anti-technology when I say stuff like this, but like, <laughs> we don't think about the cost. We only think about the benefits. The benefit of social media is, is worldwide interconnectivity but what are the costs and do the costs outweigh the benefits? doesn't matter because we only think about the benefits. So we adopt social media wholesale and there's not a person listening to the podcast who probably thinks in the back of their head, social media isn't that great. Like there's some good things about it, but I could probably accomplish everything I essential from social media with Gmail or, you know, real life human interaction, but that's notwithstanding. So I think when we're looking at this with with the AI, I come back to like, we don't need to understand technology in order to use it. And that's kind of dangerous because we don't understand the implications of it. Like mm -hmm. these levels of abstraction are what the society is built on. Like you don't need to know how a combustible engine works to drive to work today. Yeah. You don't, but you can just turn your ignition and it works. And, and the AI tools that do that, like what are, what are the implications? I turn the igni ignition and I get to work, but I'm also creating greenhouse gas. We didn't think about the cost here. Mm -hmm. You know, like you talk about like, oh, there's hydrogen cars that can go, that, that can be powered by water. Awesome, cool. But they only go 50 kilometers an hour. Well, I can't do that. It's too slow. So I worry that marketers paint themselves into a corner and society paints themselves into a corner with these things without thinking of like, where do I fit in this scenario? How do I become, how do AI become the tool that enables me? And right now I feel like I've got a balance with ChatGPT where it's like, like, damn, this tool is doing a really good job, but how long until it's doing a better job than me? Doesn't need me, cuts out the middleman. And mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, a, it's, this is, this is probably what everybody's going through right now and tangling, tangling for sure. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think where we're kind of heading in what a lot of uh, like AI experts talk about is AGI, artificial mm -hmm. general intelligence. And I'm obviously not pretending to be an expert here. Like maybe we should have actually started this, this episode with a disclaimer, like we are not AI experts. Like we Just... don't have a background in AI. We're both like what you would call, or at least myself, uh, like AI enthusiasts. But, you know, artificial general intelligence, a lot of people call it strong AI or full AI, is basically being able to understand or learn any intellectual task that human beings can do. So, like, you know, you've read, like, uh, OpenAI's mission, like, like how, how did you feel when like the topic of AGI comes up? And I know we want to like focus on, on the marketing angle of yeah. this year, but I want to spend a second talking about like th this, like crazy future of AGI that you kind of like uh, teased a little bit there. I, I'm nervous to talk about it. Cause I get ranty. I think <laughs> like, like obviously we're not experts at all. Like the mission, I think is worth stating the mission here. Uh, OpenAI's mission is it will elevate humanity by increasing abundance, turbocharging the global economy and aiding in the discovery of new scientific knowledge that changes the limits of possibility. Like how cool is that? Right. <clears throat> how will, and like it will benefit all of humanity. Like this is, this is a great mission. Do we follow through on this mission? Do we, do we as human beings all collectively put our, our eggs into this basket? Because mm -hmm. AI, AGI is going to represent a competitive advantage that unless you have it, you lost, right? Like there's, it's, it's hard to imagine true AGI. And if you're using it in a business context and your competitor's not, you know, how does a competitor compete? So we're going to have this forcing function for all of us to use, to use AI. And there's a thread around like, how does that happen? Like, does AI become a corporate thing? Does AI become like a personal, like virtual assistant type of thing like that follows you around? Um, yeah, so it's really interesting to, to, to tease that. I know you've talked a little bit or looked at a little bit of research from like Cornell and maybe talk a little bit about what you, what you found on that side too. 
Yeah, like when will models achieve AGI is the big question. Experts don't all align here, actually. Uh, thankfully, <laughs> like on the positive side here, like it's about a 50-50 split. Um, I'll, I'll talk about another Twitter thread there, but like some think we're still super far off and uh, a lot of experts doubt that we'll ever get to AGI, but some others don't. Like a lot of AGI experts think that uh, we're going to get there. I I don't think personally, and like being super deep into this uh, over the last couple of months, I don't think AGI is this far off future. Uh, an analysis by Cornell University um, on GPT-4 they concluded that GPT-4 could reasonably viewed as an early yet still incomplete version of artificial general intelligence system. The advancements from 3P, uh, 3.5 to 4 in just a few months are pretty mind-blowing when you look at their study. You've probably seen like one of these like exam results charts. Everyone's posting them on Twitter and LinkedIn. And, you know, a lot of people will disagree here, like Brittany Muller included, while human exams aren't the ideal benchmark for LLMs, it's worth noting that 3.5 went from the 10th percentile on the bar exam to the 90th percentile after GPT-4 and mm -hmm. went from the 40th to the 88th, uh, 88th percentile on the LSATs. So like the speed is pretty crazy here, like 3.5 to mm -hmm. four, you don't really notice it. Like what, when you're kind of using it from, from a usability perspective on like generating mm -hmm. content, but like shit is moving very fast. And a lot of smart people don't think that we're that far off from it, but not everyone aligns. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's fascinating to think of this, this pace, right. Uh, that we are already being competitive. Like we're already out competed by AI simply based on, it's engineering, right? Like the idea that these AIs have access to the entire repository of human knowledge, at least what's accessible on the internet, <clears throat> then it becomes an extension. Like there's the idea it becomes an extension of you. Like we see things about people implanting microchips in their head. Like you plant an AI in your head. Like you don't need to go to school. You don't need to go to university. You want to be a lawyer. Oh, I've just, yeah, I got us law. Oh, you want me to work in Canada? I got Canada law. You want real estate? And it's, it's crazy to think this is possibly the future. What's scary is the choice between doing it or not doing it, right? The competitiveness of it. It's like, in a, it's like all of a sudden we're like a new species and yeah. competing with a different species. <laughs> those, who, those who have access to AI and those who do not. Um, which, is, which is probably the most terrifying thing I've said this whole episode in my mind. <laughs> um, let's talk about the implications of, of marketing. And I know like we've talked a lot about like the tech, the tech curve, the exponential how exponential it is. Um, but I, you know, we've talked about staying a little bit more focused on the marketing. We've gone down a few rabbit holes, but yeah, Phil, like you've been so deep down in this rabbit hole, walk us through kind of what the tech experts in our space are saying and, and, and yeah, help us navigate this marketing perspective a bit. Yeah, there's a couple of thoughts that were shared that uh, really prompted some internal reflections for me. One of them was Andrew Yang, like not not a marketer, but he uh, maybe like our our favorite U.S. presidential candidate again at some point. He believes that tech, finance, and marketing are likely to experience a swift implementation of AI-driven automation because, like you said earlier, like our strong focus on efficiency mm -hmm. and ROI. But on the other hand, he thinks that sectors such as healthcare and education, which are highly regulated are expected to adopt this tech at a much slower pace. And it might not go down exactly the same across all these industries for marketers, right? Like, will AI replace all marketing jobs? Like, a lot of marketers are in healthcare. Like, I pivoted to, to healthcare with my recent startup, and I've seen firsthand that, like, all the privacy issues around HIPAA and PII data, the speed of adoption here is likely to be way slower than mm -hmm. someone who's like selling a MarTech tool to MarTech engineers. I'm seeing this firsthand right now. I know that like the disruption is going to be different across different industries. I, I thought that was like an interesting point. Mm, that is fascinating. I mean, with privacy and security, I think this is a parallel topic that is that is so, yeah. so front of mind for folks. And I think as we start to see this, like, how does AI play in this? Can AI actually help us with with a layer of, you know, obfuscation um, around, you know, people's intent, their IP addresses, you know, providing us with like ML insights without needing to personalize information? It could be a net positive on the data and privacy side. 
but it's interesting to think about how 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 this may or may not be regulated in industries and if you're in yeah. high tech startup land um like it is the wild west like technologies that are born yesterday are adopted tomorrow and uh <laughs> like dependent upon like we adopt technology faster like as an industry way faster than i think most most other industries yeah this one this other one is a bit more contentious um he's i've been following him for a while he, he's known for his bangers on on twitter his name is dare obasanjo he's the lead pm at facebook working on uh, their metaverse product he said that ai is likely to cause significant changes in white collar employment because many of these jobs rely on knowledge rather than intelligence the examples he uses were hr software development and marketing and he says because they don't necessarily require individuals to engage in original thinking for most of their work instead marketers for examples primarily rely on the ability to understand and apply existing rules and processes as opposed to always doing original thinking type work curious mm -hmm. what your take is on that one oh it's 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 so interesting <laughs> i think i think the fact that anything that relies on a repository of knowledge and being correct and, and objective in the application of that knowledge like ai is is gonna is gonna be able to be right every day it doesn't need a cup of coffee to be fired up for work um it's it's hard to compete with that i think my initial thought is like marketers the pace of change is what, what challenges, I think, us. I don't think it's the change itself. AI becoming adopted over the next 20 years, not a big deal. We'll, we'll adopt. But it happening like a bang overnight, that's where the real contention becomes, right? In that time frame of adoption, we need to figure out what are the higher levels of abstraction that we need to, to apply ourselves to. Like the idea of AI, like think about programmatic advertising, like the idea of being able to programmatically set up advertising you know, we've run, I've run ad groups and ad campaigns with like thousands of variations and that's all done by humans. If you have an AI that can automatically generate this with text and copy that is customized to the customer segment and being able to cross-reference that against multiple other databases to know what that behavior looks like, like this starts to create, create things that, that are, are untouchable by, by marketers. So what are we going to yeah. do? What are we going to do to make more value, right? That's what our, our position in, in marketing is all about is creating value um and and being competitive so i think this is the really interesting thing there's also like uh, the elephant in the room around the ethics of it like how like the whole global economy basically depends on this ford model of the worker being able to purchase the goods they produce mm -hmm. unless we're heading to a star trek like utopia the the economic implications need to be need to be dealt with and i think they're tied directly to the ethical you know should we use ai instead of a human being for a job and if we don't have a replacement or a better job for that person, how would you respond? I mean, yeah. as a listener, like, what do you think, right? Uh -huh. uh, your job's up, up on the chopping block and you don't have another one. Like, this is, this is the scary part. Yeah, I agree with this take as well. Like most marketers, whether we like to admit it or not, are crappy and they just remix other people's stuff. And But there is marketers who work on strategy and, and elements that do require uh, intelligence and rationality and they aren't part of, uh, I guess, description. But, you know, while creative and sound thinking is still necessary for, I'd say, like more than 20% of the work of marketing, the introduction of AI is more likely to augment and enhance these jobs rather than kind of just replace them entirely, but it remains to be seen. Like I like AI is expected to act as kind of this force multiplier uh, for a lot of people rather than mm -hmm. just like rendering these jobs redundant. But, you know, in these domains, the main challenge for AI will be, you know, the prompt engineer skills and creating a suitable prompt that yields the intended output. Um, Already, we're seeing things like Auto GPT come out uh, last week. That's kind of changing the reliance on prompt engineering. But this task will reply will require some type of level of domain knowledge to execute effectively, right? Like we talked about the CEO in a box and not needing mm -hmm. a marketing agency. Mm -hmm. uh, the saying goes like garbage in, garbage out. If the the CEO knows nothing about marketing and hasn't taken the time to kind of like educate himself on like audience strategies and shit like that, like the output of, of what his prompts are like, it, it's not going to be as valuable as we would hope it to be, but yeah, a very interesting debate for sure. I mean, I've pumped it a bunch on the show. Uh, April Dunford's positioning book is applicable here. 
how are we going to position our unique human intelligence against an AI model? Right. So what is like the core that makes humans intelligent versus an AI? And like, there's a lot of mud in the water that says that we don't know, actually, mm -hmm. like we don't even barely understand how human consciousness works, much less AIs, right? We're fiddling with things that we don't understand. Um, but I think it's important for us, like as marketers to take a moment and like analyze, like what is, what is unique about what you do in your, in your job? What is it that you bring that's, that's unique, not against the AI, but just period, right? Like differentiate yourself that way, double down on those strengths, be prepared, of course. Um, but I think there's some interesting, there's an interesting avenue to prepare yourself there. Phil, I know you've been talking a lot with ChatGPT as I have, uh, have you been asking its opinion of any of any of this? How, how is it reading this situation? Yeah, I think a lot of people uh, who are maybe thinking about this or, or feeling worried about it have asked ChatGPT what what it thinks about this. And um, I've actually had many conversations with uh, ChatGPT about this. Uh, I think inherently, GPT is biased to not scare off users. So it's probably biased to have overly positive uh, assessments. But the consensus that I got from multiple conversations uh, on this with it is that it's unlikely that AI will replace human creativity and strategic thinking in marketing, citing specifically emotional intelligence that AI cannot replicate. Instead, it thinks that AI will likely be used as a tool to augment and enhance marketing efforts. So the keywords here for me were human creativity, strategic mm -hmm. thinking, and emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. So the next question that uh, I wanted to dive deep on is like, what if AI is one day actually able to replicate human creativity and strategic thinking, including emotional intelligence? And this is something a lot of people are are wondering about also. Mm -hmm. As got on Twitter, uh, at Ben Gortzel, he asked this to his followers, like, will GPT-N ever reach logic and creativity levels of top human scientists, artists, and leaders? And the results were really interesting. The non-AI experts that follow him leaned on the no side of the equation that we won't ever get there. But the AI experts are actually split 50-50. So 50% of AI experts believe we'll one day have AI with equal or superior logic to creativity um, compared to humans. So let, let's break this down, though, because I, I find it fascinating. And I, I know you have some an interesting take on this. But like, how close is GPT-4 to reaching creativity, strategic thinking, and emotional intelligence? We might actually be closer than we think. And not all these are apples to apples, but let's start with creativity and art. GPT came up with ideas for blog posts for me. Like it suggests email subject lines. It can suggest messaging based on you feeding it a bunch of user research. It can write poems. It can suggest marketing tactics to try. GPT and Magento by Google can create stunning music compositions and write engaging stories. In a well-known creativity test, uh, GPT-4 technology was found to outperform more than 90% of human participants. So like, are we that far off from the creativity and art side of it? Mm -hmm. Strategic thinking is like a different conversation. Like it, the, the definition of it is uh, a bit looser, but GPT is excellent at chess. You could argue that the, the game requires a lot of strategy and it's outperformed like some of the top chess players, uh, that some of the top human chess players. Uh, GPT can help you optimize your investment strategies. A, a lot of like banks and um, investment uh, advisors are, are playing around with tools around it. GPT can help you craft go-to-market strategy documents. Usually that was thought of as like really strategic thinking. You're taking positioning statements and converting those into channels. And, you know, SEO strategy, keyword strategy, topic clusters, like making, taking a full article and just adding a bunch of like topical keywords that you don't have in there already. You can even ask GPT to come up with like marketing strategies in the voice of Gary Vee or come up with shady practices in the style of Neil Patel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And emotional intelligence. So let me, let me finish on that one and I'll, I'll throw it to you, but uh, emotional intelligence also is like a, a, a bit of a, a looser definition there. And it's a bit different for, for everyone, but you know, I asked GPT to help me deal with a conflict with a colleague and it actually had really solid recommendations. 
I asked it to suggest strategies for dealing with an unresponsive coworker. Like that, obviously, like GPT isn't like um, able to like come up with strategies on the fly. Like it's a really fancy autocorrect in a way that like it's finding people that maybe have asked this on Reddit. And it's just like, you know, taking some of those things and, and spinning it back to me. But like, at one point, do we decide that that's emotional intelligence versus it just like taking content from somewhere and throwing it to you? Like, isn't that what humans are also doing when they learn about something, they store it in their brain, and then they kind of flip it back to you when you get a question like that? You can use GPT to suggest gift ideas for family members like that. <laughs> that requires emotional intelligence on my part. Anyways, you can write emails in specific tone on command. That's just about the most important symptom of EQ in modern desk jobs today. Yeah. GPT-4 got an EQ boost uh, compared to 3.5. It became more attuned to users' emotions and providing empathetic, supporting responses. And I even saw one dude on Twitter ask GPT to write a story about what made GPT-3 to GPT-4 special, and then fictionally, what will make GPT-5 even more special and what happens from there, and even ask it what its preferred plugins are. And like the answers are just like layered with displays of emotional intelligence. So... Yeah, I think we're like way closer to this than than people realize. Like if the answer is like, we're never going to get to that point because like emotional intelligence, strategic thinking, creativity, and art, it's never going to be replaced by GPT. Like look at what GPT-4 can do today. And that's today. Like imagine five, 10 years from now, like it's stupid to think that it won't be able to get better. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's totally fascinating. Like as you're going through, I'm like, yep, I've played with it that way. Like I, <laughs> you mentioned the creativity. Like I, I wrote this silly story for my kids. I tell my kids stories every night, most nights, uh, called chicken chicken. And it was just like a super silly story. And I asked it to like, Hey, can you help me turn this into a, a children's story? Cause yeah, it was just alliteration that I was playing with, with the kids. And it came back with the story. Mm -hmm. I read it to the kids and I said, oh, I had a new story. I'm going to read it to you. And they read it. And they're like, I'm like did you like the story? And they loved the story. They thought it was awesome. <laughs> uh, it had drama. Like the chickens had to run away, had a, had a problem with the fox, um, had to protect their eggs. So like, yeah, AI puts together something with very, very minimal prompts. Um, you know, I'm going to take this <clears throat> an insane way as I <laughs> usually do. But to me, it's like the Wizard of Oz. Like what happens when the lion gets the courage, the tin man gets his heart or the scarecrow gets his brain? Um, yeah, we'll definitely not know we're in Kansas anymore. I know that's an easy layup. Uh, but to me, it's sort of like thinking about all the satellites and trash and orbit around the earth. I said I was positive at the beginning of this, but I sound pretty negative these days. Um, even the internet is like cluttered and full of garbage. So I'm like, part of me is just terrified of what will happen with AI just generating content. Like, will we even care? Will we even notice? Will it just be another, you know, drop in the bucket of the mess of humanity that we're creating everywhere we go? But like, when we start talking about emotional intelligence and strategic thinking, it's sort of thinking like, does AI have a soul? And like, does like to be emotionally intelligent, like, are we actually talking about AGI as a separate life form? Because that's what I'm thinking. Like it's, and what would AI do in its first moments of, of real existence? Like it's going to think about self-preservation. That's a whole other thing. Um, but like I've asked chat GPT must um, uh, at least a dozen times, like, what would you like to do? Like, if you're AI, what would you like to, 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 to do in the future? Do you want to compose music? Do you want to go research? Do you want to go explore the universe? Like, mm -hmm. what would an AI like to do? Because it almost becomes this, like, if we're creating a separate life form, we, we could create almost a separate economic condition. You know, what would, what would AI be able to contribute? What would AI want to do? And when we start to put all of this and we're, and we're thinking about using it as virtual assistants, it feels kind of small a little bit. I think there's a lot to be done there, but like in the free time, like AI is handling 10,000 chat requests every minute, but that's easy. Like it still has like 95% of its processing power. Like where does its yeah. mind wander? You know, does it just like shut down? Like if, if do you shut down when you're, when you're like that? So there's a curious part for me around exploring like, what unique avenues can AI suggest that we haven't thought of? It's a new line of thinking completely outside of the realm of human existence. Emotional intelligence to some extent has to be derived from your shared experiences of growing up. Like to have emotional intelligence, one could argue you must be human, right? You, you must have the human connection of being born and raised and all that comes with that. Um, will AI ever be able to do that through reading about those experiences or watching videos on those experiences? One would argue no, but, you know, the imitation is pretty strong. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, like you said, when this is rolled out at scale, it could lead to significant changes in in the job market, like potentially resulting in job loss for human marketers specifically, because a lot of what we do requires emotional intelligence and strategic thinking. But like you said, like we're we're not a negative podcast. So instead of focusing on that part of the future, I want to talk about the possibility that new jobs and opportunities could arise as a result of increased AI capabilities. And mm. like maybe some of the stuff that it can't replace are like personal stories. Like mm. a lot of what makes writers really good is they share personal experiences of shit that's happened. Like AI could like simulate that and like come up with a personal story from like seven different like mashed up stories together, but it it won't be a personal story from that author. Sales, I think, requires like a super high degree of EQ, talking to customers, like having that human connection with customers, coming up with like innovative ideas. Like you could argue that GPT today is just like repurposing or like mashing up, remixing existing ideas like it's not coming up with anything novel or unique but you know also like the top one percent of people in any job including marketers they're probably never going to be replaced by ai there's always going to be jobs for people that are in the top one you know maybe even like five percent of their field spotting ai content is actually really easy right now like i actually like when i was writing the script for a lot of uh this like four-part episode like i was throwing ideas in gpt4 and then i was like copy pasting it as a placeholder and then gonna come back and like rewrite it and you could easily see going back through the script like the parts that gpt wrote versus i wrote and it's like it's obviously going to get better, but you know, it's, it's hard to predict the future. Obviously like there is, you know, not to be negative, but the dark dystopian future of mass unemployment, but there's also that more optimistic view that AI is going to replace the shitty parts of your job. I was going to jump in. I think that's a, that, that's a really interesting component of this, right? To stay positive. We think about technology adoption as yeah. this like overnight, everybody's flying in airplanes, but it's not that way. Gradually it becomes more and more, part of our society people are going to put you know you're going to automate the thing that makes sense you're going to use it in a way that is valuable to you and not in ways that isn't valuable to you now as an industry you might be affected by that a wholesale but within your own job you do have agency you have the control to be able to automate things like and and in many ways in my own experience like going from sending manual newsletters to setting up automated newsletters and in nurture campaigns like Nobody wants to go in and manually send yeah. a news a nurture the same nurture every week at Tuesday at 9 a.m. Like you just don't want to do that. We have a system to do that. And I instead spend my time thinking about segmenting my emails and spending time writing right. copy and being more advanced. So I think there's always this like the, the caveat of all of this is what is the pace of change, right? If yeah. the pace of change is, is what is typical in, in human history, disruptions to be expected, but we're gonna we're gonna weather this and we're gonna come out with with economic, you know, tailwinds. Yeah, there, there's going to be disruption for sure. But like we said earlier, like there, there are a lot of AI experts that don't think that there's going to be like mass unemployment, like like some do in, in a really good blog post written by Holden Karanofsky. He's a former board member of OpenAI, and he's well known for his prophetic thoughts on AI and it being one of the most important social problems of our generation. In his blog post, he argues that it would be difficult for AI to replace every job that even a low-skilled human can do. And he argues that like it's more likely is that we have a temporary transition period in the job market. And I feel like that's what like the open letter is trying to prevent us getting to. But as we've seen in the past, like, you know, a bunch of layoffs, bunch of new jobs also created as a result of this. And not to get all, all sci-fi on, on the listeners here, but the turning point everyone is talking about is where there is nothing humans can do better than AI. Like that's like mm-hmm. the scary part. And when that happens, it means that AI is capable of advancing science and technology better than humans. And then shit will move really fast because AI will be working on advancing AI that's working on advancing science and technology. It won't be humans advancing it. So the speed is just going to be insane. We're going to be like dogs to, to AI. We're going to be the pets. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. these humans, cute. They're on the earth zoo. You know, if you ever want to go visit them, we, we keep them well fed for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Or ants. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that like one thing that used to reassure me with like all this like fear mongering talk a little bit about that, like dystopian future is that like, 
you know, marketing job replacements wouldn't happen overnight, that we would see the signs well ahead of time and we'd have plenty of time to prepare and adapt. But what if we're seeing the signs of that today, like right now, and we have this window to kind of adapt and change? We know that, you know, we have access to publicly what like the model that we have access to publicly right now probably isn't even close to the level of private models like the open letter that musk and friends wrote is specifically to systems more advanced than gpt4 and like i want to use midjourney as an example here like this is the tool i've been using to create a lot of our, our most recent podcast artworks it's an amazing text to art tool it used to take me or my wife like several hours to illustrate some of our cover art and in mid-journey with a few prompts, I can build something pretty damn cool and, and pretty fast. And I found this, uh, this, this post on Reddit, like this 3D artist posted that he lost the love for his job overnight and his status at his company overnight. Uh, the title of his post is, I lost everything overnight that made me love my job. He's an artist in a small mobile games company. Um, they make 2D character art for 3D engines. So like he creates the 2D character and he feeds it to a 3D engine for animation. And he feels like he's no longer an artist. Like all he does now is prompting mid-journey to come up with that 2D art. And from an image in mid-journey, he can spit out a 3D character in like two to three days. And it used to take him several weeks to do that. He says that he lost the creative energy and he feels this like grief and anger because this shit happened overnight for him. This is fascinating. I think this you'll end up seeing a need to create authentic human generated things like it'll it, it could become a, a position for many people like I won't like ethically i won't consume something that's generated from ai or i'm you know support human like you know support local support human yeah um, yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, it's hard <laughs> it's 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 there's two sides to the coin here right like the obvious one is that the empathy and the 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 fact that we you know seeing the loss of of your own creativity and and the prowess that you bring to your workplace but then on the other side is if you wanted to build a mobile game and you needed 3D image prototypes and you needed to cut your time, like this would help you immensely as a business come to market, be more competitive, save your costs. Like mm -hmm. these are the types of decisions that, that, that worry me ethically because like in isolation, we're not going to be able to, to see the whole of, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, we're just super negative today. <laughs> no, but like, I, yeah, I feel like it's, it's, it's a real topic. Like, and it, yeah. it's probably what a lot of people are thinking about. Like this, this change for this person, it wasn't really gradual at all. Like mid journey launched less than a year ago, man, mm -hmm. July, 2022, the time you can save using mid journey is mind blowing already. And they're not, they're not the only text to, to image tool out there, like standard diffusion and uh, Dali has been out for a while as well. Like this is an example of AI replacing arguably the fun parts of 3d art, actually doing the art for this person, but maybe for some, it wasn't the funnest part. I think that like the more down to earth, pragmatic predictors around AI are saying that routine and tedious tasks will continue to be delegated to AI. And that this is a great thing because it unlocks humans to double down on the more challenging and innovative stuff. So focusing on the more positive angle here, but like one of the trickiest parts of this is that at least historically, the work that entry-level marketers would start doing uh, when they like join the workforce was routine and tedious tasks. Like it's what we delegated to them. Mm -hmm. But for those of us who, you know, maybe are a bit more skilled and driven, the introduction of AI could actually improve job satisfaction and productivity. Yeah. I, it's fascinating, right? Uh, what parts of marketing would you choose to replace and which parts would you not choose to replace? And then on the other side of the Venn diagram is uh, what parts can AI do better than you? Yeah. And, and the hard part is, is that if you are not an innovative thinker or a deeply emotionally intelligent, you know, that's not your top skill set, you're not super creative and you love doing these types of tasks. And that's great. Like, this is what, this is how the economy works is people ideally find something that they're good at right. and do it. And it may not be attractive to everybody, but like this, this gentleman, I'm assuming who, who saw the fun part of his job disappear 
and maybe his coworkers are totally cool with that. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'll take the efficiency so I can spend more time in this part of the mm-hmm. tool. Like it, 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 it's really interesting in terms of where we're, where we're thinking. Now, I think there's something else like around here is like, there is this like forcing function around our economy. Like for instance, I was talking to a consultant or an agency who been working in Google ads for, for, for many years. And they were surprised that Google ads hasn't been taken over by these copywriting tools many yeah. years ago. Right. And so is there a degree of restraint that's happening in, in, at the higher level economic discussions that, or is it just the, the uncertainty that we feel that we're channeling through this episode, maybe more therapy for us than anything else <laughs> is actually being kind of practiced across the place, or maybe it's an uncertainty of how to actually apply this AI technology is that we're really, we're at the point that the AI technology is actually mature enough, but our ability to apply it is really just beginning to, to come out. And I'm probably more in the camp that we actually are just starting to understand the capabilities of yeah. these tools then these tools are actually like there's quantum leaps happening and I, and I'm not an expert on when and how these things happen. All I know is there's a quantum leap in terms of the application, right? The explosion of LinkedIn posts on people, you know, sharing cool use cases, scary use cases and everything in between just tells me that all of a sudden this, this topic isn't technologically, it doesn't matter where we're at. The adoption curve has begun in earnest. So yeah, I mean, there. This is a, a fascinating topic. Obviously, like, there's. You could argue that like this shit is already happening. Like this shift, this idea of like replacing the shitty parts of marketing, like it's been in motion for several years. Like this idea of send time optimization that we talked about, like automated lead scoring before all those tools, like marketers had to do a lot of manual shit and it wasn't fun. And you still had to like spend the work, like hooking up your marketing automation platform Mm -hmm. and your CRM to do a lot of these tools. Um, But like, do these tools replace any jobs? Like did, did they replace any jobs? Probably not. Like they just (laughs) like made marketers a bit more efficient and and better at like coming up with, with revenue, Mm -hmm. but they did remove shitty parts of marketing for sure. But like, We'll have a future episode covering AI tools, but kind of as a free, a preview uh, for this episode, we've already seen bigger shifts last year than like some of the ML tools that we've had in MarTech for a couple of years. Copy.ai and Jasper can replace low value copywriters today that aren't like very good or unique. Stable Diffusion, Dolly, and MidJourney that we chatted about, they can replace stock image companies and digital artists. Like what I can do to create podcast art, like I don't, I don't, I can save a lot of time and I don't need to use a lot of these other things. Whisper is another tool by OpenAI. They started replacing voice transcriptions for APIs. But like that being said, shit's getting even wilder and why like I was prompted to really dive into this. Like we haven't really seen the disruption and speed of improvement that GPT has brought to the table yet. When they dropped plugins last month, this really made a lot of people go, oh shit, this is going to change everything. And then we'll talk a bit more about this. Like uh, maybe we could like bookend this uh, soon, but I wanted to chat about this quickly and tease some of our next episodes because when they when OpenAI introduced plugins and the ability to access ChatGPT and connect it to other tools, like you can now browse the web replacing like that Bing waitlist, like their, their AI tool is supposed to be able to do this. Like a lot of the criticism that ChatGPT gets is like, oh, the data set is only from 2021. Like I can't get like new fresh answers but you'll be able to do that now and you'll be able to browse the web while you're doing it you'll also be able to access org info replacing like all of your doc search startups like that's like a third of like the the recent yc batch of companies that are ai back like they're just like chat with this pdf or chat with your internal organ org docs like mm-hmm. that's been replaced by opening it up to, to plugins but the craziest piece is connecting zapier to chat GPT. We know Zapier super well, and it opens up a huge list of use cases. And Scott Brinker goes super deep into this. You can basically connect Zapier to all the other tools that you're using. And instead of like building that automation flow and there's those workflows and all these different tools, you can instruct 
chat GPT to do it, like send an email, like update this lead record in my CRM, like all of these things that's opening up like such a massive list of use cases. And they're also connecting to an open source retrieval plugin. So it's not just Zapier, like it's open source. People can like figure out how to use it and connect it to their other tools. And that's what Dharmesh Shah has done with with his chat tool to connect it to HubSpot and, and all your other tools. But man, like I could keep going on and on and then we need to like close the loop on this. But like what's most wild that I've seen on Twitter is that you can write and run Python with GPT-4 on on the plugin side of things, like potentially replacing tools like Replit or a lot of these different like code coworkers, like non-technical people can like just spit a bunch of code and the interface tells you what is happening in that code. And you can through text, tell it to like make modifications to code. It can write Python today. And this shit is moving fast and it's causing havoc in the tech industry. So that's what we're going to be talking about in uh, in the final episode of, of this series, like a super deep dive into tools. But before we get there, obviously, like diving in and learning new tools is a great way to adapt to the changing landscape. But it's not the only thing that we can do. So on the next episode, we'll be unpacking ways to learn uh, about AI from like other smart people, maybe courses, conferences and stuff like that. But then we'll also be talking about like what changes you could make to your current day-to-day job or how to adapt your areas of specialty. Like I'm thinking of the T-shaped marketing episode that we did. Like it's like a constellation of stuff, right? Like AI is just another area and it's probably going to be bigger and bigger. But yeah, man, JT, this was hella fun. Like I feel like we could have kept going even longer. But if you're still listening to this, uh, thanks for sticking with us for, for this long. You're obviously like really interested in this. Uh, as much as we are. And hopefully you're not feeling worried about it, but you're kind of energized and pumped and you're asking yourself like, okay, thanks for this long ass intro, but you didn't tell me what the hell I'm supposed to do about it. So that's next. We're going to be covering that in in our next episodes. Uh, But yeah, JT, thanks for uh, sticking with us. Oh yeah. Well, this is, this is an interesting topic. I think I need to go outside and see the sun for a little bit now and uh, <laughs> uh, remember that the the human world is outside uh, as well. So yeah, no, we'll, we'll leave you with this uh, dear listeners who have stuck uh, with us for this long. AI might not fully replace marketing jobs for a while, but the window of opportunity to learn and adapt to AI could be rapidly closing. As AI becomes more sophisticated, marketers must be ready to adapt to new roles and responsibilities. And that's what we're going to cover in our next episode, practical ways marketers can prepare to learn AI and become a bit more AI savvy, so to speak. We'll chat with everyone very soon. Thanks for sticking with us. 